Good morning, Grace. Uh, like Eric said, my name is Jason Tresser, and I am really honored to be sharing with you today on this Sanctity of Life Sunday. This is a day, like we've been describing, um, where our church takes a normal break from our sermon series, and we, we uh, cooperate and we, and we work with churches and organizations all over the nation that are taking this day to proclaim the value of unborn children. So a special welcome to you if you're part of the pro-life conference at Biola. We're glad that we're partnering with you. Uh, a little bit about me. Uh, I'm a longtime member of Grace, um, and I love this church. Um, I love you guys. I love worshiping together. It's just an honor to be the body of Christ with you all. Um, my wife and I came here. We've been married 40 years. Uh, we've got three, 40 years. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd, be, <laughs> that'd be a long time to have been married. Um, We've been married for 20 years. Uh, we have three beautiful daughters, um, but we came to Grace 14 years ago. Uh, we moved here to La Mirada for me to take a position at Biola as a, a biology professor. Um, and the elders have asked me to give today's message and to talk to you about the dignity of human life and the miracle of fetal development from a biologist's point of view. So I'm excited to do that. Um, I love talking about cells and I especially talk, love talking about uh, cells in embryos. But this is not my normal format. Um, I'm used to giving rather technical lectures with lots of details and pointing at slides uh, to upper division biology majors. But one of the things I love about Grace, and, and I've been blessed for so many years, is that we emphasize the priesthood of all believers. Um, that is, that we're all ministers of the gospel, that we all are equipped each and every one of us, to encourage each other and to teach each other. And so I'm just going to share some stories about my life, and we're going to read some scripture together, and I'm going to show you some of the wonders that I get to think about of God's creation, specifically in, in these embryos. So this might not be a typical Sunday sermon, because I'm not a typical preacher, um, but we're just going to lean into that, and we're just going to let God's creation maybe speak more to us than as usual on a Sunday. So let me ask for the Lord's help. Father God, maker of heaven and earth, thank you for this time that we get to be together as your body. Thank you for your word, and thank you, Lord, for all that you've made. We ask that you would use both your word and your creation to reveal yourself to us today. Help us to see the beauty of your creation. Speak to us from your word, and I ask that your spirit would be at work in us now, making our hearts open to hearing from you, and that we would respond to your goodness with praise and worship. In Jesus' name, amen. First of all, I'd like to tell you just a little bit about how the Lord called me into science, because I really do believe that this was a call, a divine calling for me. Uh, in elementary school and in junior high, I always loved math and science. Um, math was like fun puzzles to solve, and I loved learning facts about the earth and about creation and about animals. So much so that in order to reward myself to do my homework when I was a kid, I would save my math and science problems to the end of my study time, you know, so I could just save the fun stuff for last, right? I'm sure you guys all did the same thing, right? No? Well, isn't it wonderful that God has made us all very different people, right? Well, it was in high school where I really felt God's call, though, to pursue this uh, as my calling. Uh, I loved my biology classes, and I had a really wonderful biology teacher. Um, her name was Nancy Wagner, and Miss Wagner had been a nurse before she had became a teacher. 
And she would tell us amazing and often grotesque stories about diseases and surgeries and medical oddities, and I just loved it. Um, And I had this feeling that I was supposed to be involved in medicine. Um, For one thing, my parents had been very uh, intentional about uh, reminding me that my name means, Jason means in Greek, healer. And and I knew that from scripture that names are significant and that that God uses names to call people to to what they're they're called to do. and so I had this vague notion that, that I was called to this subject that I loved. Uh, but I had a problem, and the problem is I had no desire to be a doctor. I didn't particularly like being in hospitals. I didn't want to be around sick people. And I didn't really know how this calling thing was going to work out. But my junior year in high school, Miss Wagner took some of us promising biology nerds to a, a high school science day at the Salk Institute, which is a, a research institute in San Diego. And I got to tour the labs, and I heard Jonas Salk and Francis Crick speak that day. Here's a picture uh, of me and Jonas Salk and Francis Crick. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'll zoom in a little bit. So there's Jonas Salk and Francis Crick. Uh, Crick is on the left. He, with James Watson, won the Nobel Prize for discovering uh, and elucidating the structure of DNA. And on the right is Jonas Salk, the Salk Institute's named after him, and he won the Nobel Prize uh, for the polio vaccine. And not many times in my life have I felt God really speak to me, but the Holy Spirit really worked in me that day. Because when they introduced Jonas Salk to give his little talk to us, they called him one of the foremost healers of our generation. This was a man who studied chemistry in college. And though he went to medical school, he didn't study, or he didn't didn't treat patients, but he did experiments on viruses and cells in petri dishes. And through his work, millions of people were saved from death or disfigurement from polio. And that day, the hair stood up on the back of my neck and shivers ran down my spine, and I felt like God was maybe calling me to be a healer in some sort of similar way. Now, long story short, I went to college thinking I was gonna cure diseases, and I went to graduate school thinking I was gonna work on birth defects. And I went and studied developmental biology, which is um, the genetics and the cell biology of embryos. And through a number of different events, God called me though into education and to discipleship. And so now I teach genetics and cellular and developmental biology to pre-med students at Biola. And God, in his gracious way, is still, I think, using me to now train healers. And I've had the privilege of Uh, having dozens of my students go into medical school, into surgery and pediatrics and all kinds of things. So, but what, um, this brings me to my purpose today and I think why I'm up here today. Um, As I've considered what my role is through being a Christian in the sciences, um, reflection on the Psalms have been really helpful for me. Throughout scripture, and particularly in the Psalms though, God calls us to consider his creation and then respond in praise. Uh, And so that's what I think God has called me to, that this is my life's calling. This is what I'm gonna do today, but I feel like what my calling is is to help people see the glory of God in the amazing living systems that he's created and to encourage people to worship him. So today, I wanna do just that. I wanna highlight particularly the wonderful things that God has done in embryos, and I want us to respond together and praise God. So, as we do this, there's only three things I want you to take away. Number one, life is an extravagant 
gift of God. Number two, life, human life is precious because of who God has made us to be. And number three, although this life is broken, God promises us new life. And the proper response to all these three things is praise. So to set the stage, I want to read Psalm. I'll read Psalm 8, if you want to go there with me. And thank you so much, Kennedy, Kenny, for setting, setting me up. I feel like you've done half my sermon already. Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have set him a little lower than the heavenly beings and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the work of your hands, and you have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, and whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So point number one, life is an extravagant gift of God. The first thing to note in this psalm is that it starts and ends with praise to God. And this is the psalm's way of saying, this is what this is about. The beginning and the end is the main point, and then the middle just supports the outsides. And so God is the main character here, and praising him is the main motivation here. The second thing to note is that everything in the middle is about what God has done. This psalm is like many psalms uh, where it talks about the glory of God's heavens, and we've amazingly sung a lot about that this morning. Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. And Psalm 48 says, praise the Lord from the heavens, just to name a few. The vastness of space, the motion of the stars, the heat of the sun, the majesty of the moon, the heights of the clouds, the power of the thunderstorms, these are all really common metaphors that are used in the Psalms uh, to, to display God's power and his glory. But I like Psalm 8 here because there's a contrast that's made. So we're, we're called to consider the heavens, but then verse two says, out of the mouths of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy. And then he repeats this contrast in, in verse three and four. So it says, when we look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you've set in place, and then he turns his thoughts to man. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Now, this is non-traditional language here. Um, the babbling of babies stills the enemy. Newborn infants testify to God's strength. Well, if scripture is to believe, then yes, babies and infants display God's strength. But babies are example of like the least capable, the least strong, the least powerful people. This, the passage doesn't say soldiers or bodybuilders display God's strength. These are impressive people physically, but he doesn't use them. Not kings or priests who are socially powerful and influential. Not doctors or scholars who are intellectually capable, but babies and infants. And I think the point here is that humans 
just by our very existence, not by what we do, but just for who we are, by our very nature, we display God's strength. Our achievements pale in comparison to our nature. You and I, just by being human, occupy a place in God's creation that displays his glory. And this is a gift of God. It is a gift to be alive, and it is a gift to be human, to be in this honored part of his glorious creation. And this is why as Christians we believe that life at all stages is precious. Our worth and our dignity are not based on what we do, but because God made us. We do not determine when people have worth and when they do not have worth, God does. The unborn child whose eyes who have not developed yet show God's glory. And people who are born without sight still show God's glory. People suffering from an injury or have a divisibility or a disease, a child just learning to walk and my 98-year-old grandmother that needs a walker to walk. We all bring glory to God. And our bodies are extravagant gifts. And our bodies are something that we did not do ourselves. Psalms 100 says, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise and give thanks to him and bless his name. It's he who has made us, not we ourselves. I went for a bike ride this week and I was thinking about this idea of our bodies and our our bodies being gifts. Uh, And I really enjoy cycling. I like being outside. I like the wind in my face. Uh, And I love the the process of increasing my fitness as well. I, I like pushing myself to go faster, to go further, to go longer. And if I stick to a training plan, my muscles respond and they become more efficient and they become stronger and I can go faster. But as I thought about it on this ride, I thought this ability of mine to control my body and to train my body pales in comparison to the work that God has done in just making my body. It's he who invented muscles in the first place and he gave those cells the ability to to divide and to grow and to respond to my training. God invented legs and lungs and hearts and arteries and veins and the red blood cells and the hemoglobin and the myoglobin and the mitochondria and the electron transport system and the ATP synthase that makes the ATP that provides my myosin fibers the ability to contract along the actin filaments. (laughs) And perhaps I'm getting a little carried away with the cellular details, but the point is our bodies are amazing and complex and extravagant. This is a gift of God. Um, To maybe put it in more realistic terms, like imagine somebody gave you a really nice car. Like imagine somebody gave you a Ferrari, okay? Um, And you get to drive it around and maybe you're actually even a good driver, right? But you didn't pay for the car. Somebody gave it to you, It was a gift. And you didn't assemble the parts together and you certainly didn't manufacture the parts or design the parts to fit together and to power it. And in fact, our bodies are even more elegant, are even more beautiful, are even more complicated and exquisitely engineered than a Ferrari. I would argue one of your cells, just one of your cells, 
is more exquisite than a Ferrari. And this is a gift of God, a gift that we do not do ourselves. Because think about it, do you remember being in your mother's womb? Did you have any conscious role in your own development? If you have kids, as they were developing in the womb, did you tell their cells where to go and which ones to be kidneys and which ones to be liver? And how many times to divide and when to be born? No, no. It's a miraculous, extravagant work of God. Psalm 139 tells us this. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. We are a glorious and extravagant gift of God. And you and I, we live in a special time in history where we get to peek into some of these amazing things that happen inside the womb. Things that for centuries people had no idea. The, the psalmist says that these things were hidden and made in secret. Uh, and we get to see some of those things now because of modern technology. So what I'd like to show you right now is some videos and some animations of these very early stages of these amazing bodies we have. So, you're going to, oh, go back. Can I go back? Um, so I'm a biology professor, and a biology and a scientist knows that everybody takes you more seriously when you're wearing a lab coat. So you're gonna enter into Dr. Tresser's developmental biology class right now. And we're gonna watch three videos. Um, and we're gonna go from large to small. So we're gonna, we're gonna look at um, the macro level of, of an embryo developing that we can actually see with microscopes and, and with ultrasounds. And then we're gonna go to smaller, to just, a, uh, just the embryo. Uh, and then we're going to go even smaller and we're gonna look at a single cell and hopefully I'm going to convince you that you're more elaborate than a Ferrari. All right, here we go. Amazing, a beautiful and extravagant gift. Um, that's the macro level. Now that, that's an animation, but it's a very accurate animation. That's taken from hundreds and thousands of ultrasounds and in, in utero um, camera video footage that we have. But what I wanna show you is something that we, we often can't even see. Now, I, I was really glad to hear um, Aiden talk about uh, snowflakes, the uh, embryo adoption, uh, the embryo adoption organization, because this next video that I'm gonna show you is gonna show you this in vitro fertilization, so we'll actually see uh, a real live camera image. So that was an animation. This next one is gonna be an actual camera image of a, of a fertilized egg, and then the first eight days of the fertilization to, uh, to development. So there's the cell dividing into two, and then dividing into four, and dividing into eight, and at each stage, at eight cell stage, those are all separate different cells now. They have different functions and different types. And now the embryo is forming um, two layers. There's an outer layer 
that's called a trophoblast, and then there's an inner layer that's, the, um, that's going to become the embryo proper. And a lot of people will say that these are just, this is just a mass of cells. Like, this isn't a human yet, it's just a group of cells. Uh, but it's just not true. Um, this is a, like I said before, this is a single egg, once it's been fertilized, has started a new program, has started a developmental program that it needs no extra information to go from that fertilized egg to make an entire human person. No extra information, it's all contained within that, that embryo. And at this point, there are cells that are actually specialized to detect where the embryo is, whether it's in the fallopian tube or whether it's reached the uterus yet. Specialized cells that will burrow the embryo into the, uh, into the uterus and create the placenta and create the amniotic sac and create the umbilical cord. Like, all of those cells are functioning and have, have purposes at this point. So what I want you to do now, we're going to go even further in, and we're going to talk about just one of those cells in that blastula embryo. So I'll watch, we'll watch this again. But at that, at that final stage where it's got that outer, outer coating of cells, those cells are specifically designed, like I said, to sense where they're at. And they will preferentially decide, am I in the, uh, in the fallopian tubes or am I in the uterus? Okay, so right here, this outer group of cells. We're going to focus in on what happens on just one of those cells in the outer part of the embryo and how they detect and respond to the location that they're in in the mom's womb. So this is one of those outer cells touching the, the, the uterus and recognizing where it's at. And we're going to watch and see how this cell responds to grab and to implant inside that, that, uh, that uterus. So we're going inside the cell now. And you're going to look and see the cell's cytoskeleton and how it forms its shape. These, these proteins are constantly um, being made and, 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 uh, and disassembled in order for the cell to change shape and for it to actually stick to other cells. Here's a cell responding to that signal and it's moving cargo, it's moving proteins to a different location in response to knowing that it's now in the uterus. Now here's the cell responding. The, the DNA is making a copy and it's gonna make new proteins in order to be able to stick to that uterus and embed into it. Here's a protein being made. Here's a protein being made, being pushed inside this sac. And here's all these sacs now being moved to the outside of the cell so that it can respond and stick to the uterine wall. So here are all the new proteins that that cell has made. And they're now going to reach out 
and grab the uterine wall and hold that embryo right there where it's supposed to be. An amazing work of God. <laughs> that was just about two seconds uh, of real time. Let's slow down to that three minutes. It's just in two seconds that embryo rolls, it knows exactly where it's at, it responds, and it's going and doing its, its job. All right, if the ushers would come forward, we'll now administer the quiz. Uh, <laughs> it's only 10 points for your final grade, so don't worry. No, I'm kidding. The quiz will be after the sermon. Uh, uh, those are just some of the wonders of God's creation. Um, I think if David had been able to see those things, he would have written some psalms that were about embryos and about cells and called us to worship, right? Uh, David could see the heavens and the stars and the moon, and he calls us to worship God, and we get to see the cells, and we get to see embryos, but we're also called to worship God. So the proper response to all these examples of God's extravagant creation is to praise him. So I've asked Kenny to come up and to lead us in a song, and I'm going to stop us right in the middle of my sermon, and we're going to respond to God with praise for how glorious he is. Amen. Point number one, life, your bodies are an extravagant gift of God. Point number two, human life in particular is precious because of who God has made us to be. And I'm just going to briefly just go through a list of things, and these could take a lifetime to dive into, but I just want to remind you of the amazing things that God has done to set us apart as his creations. So we'll go through this list. Number one. God has made us in his own image. Genesis 1 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So we represent God here on earth. We are bodily symbols of him. And we represent him, uh, number one, to each other. That when we look into each other, uh, we see the image of God. And we represent God to the, even to the angels. And in all creation, no other creature possesses God's image. There's so much to explore here, but, but quickly, we're like God in, 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 the, in the fact that we're self-aware and that we're self-reflective. Uh, our psalm that we talked to do, uh, through today, Psalm 8 says, what is man, God, that you are mindful of him? We're the only animals that like contemplate our own place in the world and our contemplate our relationship with God. We're the only organisms that can speak and reason and choose. And like God, the creator, he's made us little creators and we can make art and we can make music and write poetry and make jokes and we can love and we can forgive and we can have relationship with God because we are made in his image. Number two, God has given us dominion and responsibility over all of his creation. How highly does God think of us that he would give us control and put us in charge of all of his creation? Number three, God himself became a human and took on a body. What dignity does that show us that the second person of the Trinity, that Jesus, the word of God, would come and take on bodies? John 1 says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
And Jesus became a man so that he would die for us. Romans 5, 6, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Number five, we're adopted as children. 1 John 1, 3 says, Behold what love the Father has lavished upon us, that he would call us children of God. Jesus calls us brothers and sisters and friends, and we are invited to be a part of God's family. No other creation, part of creation gets to be a part of God's family. There's so many other things, but lastly, God's Spirit dwells within us. 1 Corinthians 6 says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? You have... Uh, You are the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. What extravagant gifts these are that God has bestowed humanity with. This is what makes us valuable. None of these things we do ourselves. And this should fill us with, number one, ironically, it should fill us with two things. Number one, confidence. Confidence in who God has made us to be but also humility, because it's God who has made us to be this way. Now, I'm all for finding your gifts and finding your callings, and God has good work for all of us to do, but I just really want us to think about all those things are things that God did for us and not things that we did on our own. And so I think we all have a tendency to think about what God's calling us to do and what our gifts are and how we're supposed to serve him and all these things. And I just want to put a little weight on the other end of the scale and just say, You just being you, you just being human, you just accepting the good gifts that God has given brings him praise and glory. Now, all of this is true, and all of this is amazing. We are extravagantly made by God. We are dignified because of what God does and who he calls us to be. And all this is great, and all this is true, and we should reflect and praise. But it wouldn't be the whole truth if we just sang a song and stopped here. Because no matter how complicated our cells are and how amazing our bodies are, and even though we are made in the image of God, the fact is these bodies are fallen and we have inherited a sinful nature that hinders our fellowship with God and our fellowship with creation and our fellowship with others and it mars our ability to live in this fullness of God's image. And I know for many of you it might be hard for you to praise God because of your body. Because maybe age or injury has taken away an ability that you once had. Or maybe you've been diagnosed with a disease that has no cure. Or maybe you suffer with pain every day. And I know for some of you it may be difficult to even have thought about human development. Because you, like Kim and I, have experienced the sorrow of a miscarriage or you've been afflicted by infertility, or you've had a child born with a birth defect, or you have been involved or had an abortion, that taking of a precious human life. And if that's the case, especially if you've been, only only if you've been a part of that terrible thing of abortion, um, I wanna say to you though, that there's no wrong that you've done that cannot be forgiven. And there is no sin that God cannot atone for. Nothing can keep you from the Father's love and knowing his forgiveness. But I do, I want to recognize this world has fallen. 
And it is right for us to mourn over these things. It's right for us to rejoice in what God has made and it's right for us to mourn that we're not right. Sadness is the appropriate response to our condition. Jesus himself came and entered into our sorrow and wept over death and disease. And he suffered and he died. And we mourn because of sickness and in death because we know life is precious. We all intuitively know that death and disease and pain and suffering, these are not the way it's supposed to be. And so this brings me to my last point. This life is broken, but God promises us new life. When God created Adam and Eve, he created their bodies to designed to, be, to live forever, uh, to exist forever without age, without disease, for their cells to constantly replace themselves and to never decay. But when they disobeyed God, their bodies were corrupted and all of creation was cursed. And we have inherited this fallen state from them. But God, in his mercy, does not leave us in this state eternally. The consequence of sin is death and death is a terrible thing. But in a way, death reminds us of the mercy of God. Because death of these bodies means that the curse will only last for so long. God has promised us new life. Jesus will come again, and whether we're living or dead, God is going to take our current bodies, these corrupted, these decaying, these mortal bodies, and he is going to remake them into resurrection bodies. Physical bodies, but also heavenly bodies. Paul describes these in in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, We shall not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall all be changed. For this perishable body must be put on the imperishable, and this mortal body will put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortal, then shall come to pass this saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Thanks be to God who gives the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This too, this third point, this is an extravagant gift, a gift that we are waiting to come, the gift to be given new, imperishable bodies that will not decay, that are not susceptible to disease, no more pain, and we live in the presence of God forever. So as you go today, I want you to remember, number one, your life is an extravagant gift of God. Number two, you are precious because of God and what he has made you to be. And although this life is broken, number three, God promises us new life. So let these amazing gifts of God give you confidence, give you hope, and lead you to praise him no matter what your circumstances are. So let's end by praising God the creator for what he's done and what he promises to do.